Our first reading comes to us from the book of Exodus, chapter 14, verses 5 through 7 and 10 through 18. Listen for the word of the Lord. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the minds of Pharaoh and his officials were changed towards the people. And they said, what have we done letting Israel leave our service? So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 picked chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. As Pharaoh drew near, the Israelites looked back and there were the Egyptians advancing on them. In great fear, the Israelites cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the very thing we told you in Egypt? Let us alone and let us serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and see the deliverance that the Lord will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to keep still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry out to me? Tell the Israelites to go forward. But you lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the Israelites may go into the sea on dry ground. Then I will harden the hearts of the Egyptian so that they will go in after them. And so I will gain glory for myself over Pharaoh and all his army, his chariots and his chariot drivers. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I've gained glory for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots and his chariot drivers. This is the word of the Lord. Our second reading continues from the book of Exodus chapter 14. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. The Israelites went into the sea on dry ground, the water forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went into the sea after all of them, all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and chariot drivers. At the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and cloud looked down upon the Egyptian army and threw the Egyptian army into panic. He clogged their chariot wheels so that they turned with difficulty. The Egyptians said, Let us flee from the Israelites, for the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and chariot drivers. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at the dawn the sea returned to its normal depth. As the Egyptians fled before it, the Lord tossed the Egyptians into the sea. The water returned and covered the chariots and the chariot drivers. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea Not one of them remained. For the Israelites walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. This ends the reading of God's holy word. May God add many blessings to the hearing of it. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, 
We've come into your house and gathered in your name to worship you. Enable us to hear your call in our lives. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts here together be found pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Our Lord, our Rock, our Redeemer. Amen. Friends, today we're continuing the narrative lectionary, and we've taken a fairly big jump forward in time. Last week, we left with Joseph being thrown into prison, being falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. While he was in prison, he began to have dreams and to interpret dreams. And God blessed Joseph, and he rose to prominence, and the head jailer trusted him over everything. And then Pharaoh began to have dreams. And none of Pharaoh's advisors could figure out what the dreams meant. Eventually, word got to Pharaoh that Joseph could interpret dreams, so he sent for Joseph, and Joseph went to Pharaoh and interpreted the Pharaoh's dreams. And from that point on, Joseph was an advisor to the Pharaoh. Joseph's family made their way to Egypt because there was a famine in their land. And they didn't recognize Joseph as he ruled over the land. But he recognized them, his brothers who'd thrown him into a pit, who'd sold him into slavery. And he had grace on them and forgave them and forgave their father. And there's a great reuniting. Unfortunately, good stories don't go on forever. And eventually, Pharaoh died and was replaced by another king who forgot what Joseph had done. And Joseph and his family's descendants grew and grew. And the king was afraid of them, so he put them into slavery. So here the Israelites find themselves enslaved in Egypt. Eventually, God called to Moses, one of the Israelites, to go to Pharaoh and to say, set my people free, let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, no, I'm not going to do that. So God sent a series of plagues, each stronger and more strange and fearful than the last, culminating with the death of the firstborn of all creatures and all people, save the Israelites. And Pharaoh relented. Pharaoh said, I've had enough. Your God is mightier than I. Go, have your freedom. Leave this land. And that's where our story picks up today. Moses is leading the Israelites out of Egypt. And as they leave, Pharaoh realizes what he's done. And his mind changes again. His heart is switched again. And he gathers his chariots to go after him. 600 of his finest chariots and all the other chariots as well. Now, during this time, during this day, chariots were the finest military technology there was. It'd be like sending stealth bombers or drones or... Uh, you guys could probably tell me what military technology is better than, than I can. And they started pursuing the Israelites. And as the Israelites were getting to the Red Sea, they looked behind themselves and they saw these chariots bearing down on and I love the snarkiness that some of the Egyptians use. They say to Moses, is this why you brought us into the wilderness? Because there weren't enough graves in Egypt? You brought us here to die? They looked back and said it would have been better the way it was before. Here, we're going to die. They were stuck between a rock and a hard place. They had their back against their wall. Enter, enter the idiom of your choice. 
They have this giant army with military might and technology bearing down them and a sea on the other side. It must have looked like an ocean. They couldn't see the land on the other side. They couldn't see the land on either side. All they could see is water. When I was in better shape than I am today, I once thought about doing a triathlon. I was running. I was biking. I felt confident in that. But I was like, I'm not so sure about the swimming. If you're running and you stop running, you stand there. If you're biking and you stop biking, you fall over. But if you're swimming and you stop, it doesn't end well. And I thought, but at least I could see the other side of the lake. At least I could see. They couldn't see anything. All they could see is water. How often do we find ourselves in situations like that? How often do we find ourselves with our backs against the wall between two seemingly impossible decisions? I remember when I was younger, I'd moved out of my parents' house. I was supporting myself, putting myself through school, and I didn't have two nickels to run together. And I was late on my car payment, and I didn't know what I was going to do. If I was late one more time, they were threatening to repossess my car. I was like, well, I could have my car repossessed, or I could go to one of those payday lenders that charge like 300% interest. It seemed like an impossible decision. It's, it reminds me of an episode of The Simpsons. Bart Simpson cheats on a test and gets put into a gifted school. And he's with all the gifted students, and the teacher says, what is an example of a paradox? And he looks at the teacher and says, damned if you do, damned if you don't. <laughs> That's where I found myself. That's where the Egyptians found themselves. There's so many times in life we find ourselves there. We're worried about we have to either upset our family or upset our employer. We have to make a choice or we have to set friends against friends or we have to make a decision that's going to upset someone, spoil something, or put ourselves in a bad position. We're in a situation where there is no good choice. And that's where the Egyptians were, or the Israelites were. They're stuck between the Egyptians and the Red Sea. And there's two verses that jumped out at me that, that I just love. The first time I first few times I looked at these verses, I just skipped over. Verses 14 and 15. Verse 14, Moses is talking to the Israelites. He says, The Lord shall fight for you, and you have only to keep still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry out to me? Tell the Israelites to go forward. Moses is saying, don't worry, we're fine. Just stand still, don't do anything. God's going to take care of us. And God's saying, what are you talking to me for? You get going, get moving. There's such a, a contrast between what Moses is saying and what God is saying. Moses is getting it completely wrong. He's saying, don't do anything. God's got this, we're fine. God says, don't cry out to me, get going, move. Here come the chariots. What are you doing standing there? There's a, a disconnect there. And I think that's where we live in that tension. You know, I, one of my weaknesses as a pastor, one thing that scared me that I'm always afraid I'm going to get called out at, since seminary, when it comes to being a biblical scholar, is I am not good at memorization. 
you ask me where a particular verse is, I could narrow it down. I might even get the book right, but I'm not ever, never going to say, oh, well, that's Matthew 3, 14, or, you know, that's from 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. And I, I can't quote scripture. I could paraphrase it. I know the Bible, but just when it comes to quoting it, I'm not that good at it. So I'm going to ask for your help. Where in the Bible does it say God helps those who help themselves? That's from uh, Second Obligations chapter. It's right next to God. Uh, godliness is next to cleanliness. It's a. Uh, it's one of those verses that sound biblical but just isn't. It's actually written by. Um, I just want to play on his name. A, a British philosopher whose last name is Sidney, Algernon Sidney. But in this case, it seems to be true. It seems to be that the people are looking to God for help, but God wants them to do something first. God's saying, don't just stand there. Go, step forward. How often do we find ourselves in that situation as a church? How often as a congregation and the greater church do we find ourselves between a rock and a hard place, with our backs up against the wall, between two impossible decisions? And we expect God to be able to help us without our doing anything. A couple years ago, I read a book, I'm about to read it again for my upcoming pastor's gathering, called Never Pray Again. And it doesn't advocate completely giving up on prayer, but it advocates changing the way we pray. And it says, sometimes we use prayer as a crutch. That we use prayer to get ourselves out of having to do things. If we sin against our brother and sister, we confess that sin to God and figure it's all fixed without going to our brother or our sister and confessing our sin to them and trying to make things right for them. Or we'll pray for the poor people of our community without doing anything to help them. I think God would say, don't just stand there. Don't just lean on me, but you have to do something. I think it comes that way when it comes to changing and growing. Throughout our nation, and our church is no different. Churches are experiencing diminishing membership, diminishing budgets. We look around the Sunday on, as service starts and be like, is the choir just going to be it today? And luckily people do trickle in as the service gets going. But this is not an uncommon problem. And people lament over it. People gnash their teeth. Oh, we're shrinking, we're dying but they don't want to do anything about it. They don't invite their friends and neighbors. They don't reach out into the community. They just figure God will take care of it. When God is saying, don't just stand there, step out and do something. People uh, commiserate over the church's lack of impact on society. How the church isn't relevant anymore. But again, churches are fine just sitting there not doing anything. They aren't engaging in meaningful mission work. They aren't engaging their communities. They aren't reaching out to their friends and neighbors and helping those in need like the gospel commands us to. They purposefully aren't having an impact. Whether it's because they're scared, they worry they don't have the funds, they worry they don't have the personnel. And God looks at them and says, don't just stand there. 
do something. If you're familiar with the Jewish idea of Midrash, Midrash is almost like a second book of Scripture. Midrash is a rabbinical uh, interpretation of texts. It's what uh, extra-biblical stories. We we don't really have an equivalent in Christianity, but Midrash has been studied by rabbis for centuries. And there's a a Midrash about the parting of the Red Sea. And it centers around a young man named Nishan. And the story goes that as the Hebrews, the Israelites were sticked at the Red Sea, they were petrified. They didn't know what to do. And Moses was going to try to part the Red Sea and nothing happened. And the Egyptians were getting closer and closer. And they could feel the earth start to tremble with the chariots and the horses approaching them and starting to bear down on them. And then a young man named Nishan stepped into the sea. And he walked a little bit further and the water was up to his knees, his waist, his chest. And when it finally got to his neck, he kept walking. And at that point, the waters began to part. At that point, the dry land appeared and the rest of the Israelites can funnel into the path that God had set before them. They took Nishan stepping out in faith for the waters to part. Until that point, all they can sit there is stand there and complain and wait for their doom. In our lives, we find ourselves in seemingly impossible situations. As a church, we face a difficult future. But if we look at Moses and the parting of the Red Sea, we see that God will provide a way for us. That there is a way forward, that God has a plan for us. But first, we need to step out in faith. Amen.